Well, last time I talked to the people from downtown. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new? Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter. About a certain research. Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk if you talk to the people from the board. Why did the yogurt go to the art museum? Welcome to another episode of the Community Board Podcast with your host, Miguel Valdez. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about a really important topic, something that everybody, at some point, you get affected in your life. Everybody, at some point, uh, we go through struggles in our life, and, and we deal with these issues. Today, I'm here with Dr. Bernardo N.G. Solis. And he's visiting us from Mexicali. Is that right? Is that correct? <laughs> that doctor? is correct. Yes. Doctor, welcome to Minnesota. What brought you here? Share it with your friends. Yes, I'm, I'm very glad to be here. And um, I'm very excited to share that I was invited by the Department of Psychiatry of the Mayo Clinic mm -hmm. to give grand rounds yesterday. And uh, yes, I come from Mexicali, Mexico. And... Um, that's at the border with the United States, and I happen to work on both sides of the border. So I guess I can also say that I'm coming from Imperial, California, which is the the county on the California side. Okay. Doctor, your presentation cons uh, was talking about the topic of uh, early... Um, no, what is the name? Uh, Adverse Childhood Ad Experience. Adverse Childhood Experience. So let's let's uh, go back a little bit and please uh, share with us what psychiatry does. Oh yes, I'll be glad to, and that's uh, frequently a uh, reason for debate mm -hmm. because um, in the clinical world, meaning in the direct care of patients, uh, frequently we have the question of how is a psychiatry and a psychologist alike, or how are they different. Mm -hmm. So um, in the world of uh, clinical care, in the field of health care, psychiatrists are physicians, either medical doctors or doctors in osteopathics, that specialize in the function and uh, malfunction of the brain manifested by mental illness. Psychologists in that sense are um, usually people with a doctor's degree are clinical psychologists and they take care of one part of the patient uh, care uh, with mental illness and they do the psychotherapies, they do psychological testing, whereas the psychiatrist is a physician. So he does physical exams, mental status exams, may order blood tests, lab tests, is in charge of diagnosing, prescribing either medications or other treatments like ECT or, you know, um, we call it neuromodulation, the brain. So they work in a team. And, and in the healthcare world, uh, I always compare it with the orthopedist, for example, that takes care of a fracture and does the surgery. And then you have a physical therapist that continues the treatment. That's what the psychologists would do. Okay. In the research world, it's different because psychologists do more research than 
psychiatrists, but that's another field. I'm not involved in that field. Okay. So how did you get involved in psychiatry? Well, I'm a, I went to training to become a doctor in the University of Nuevo León in Mexico. Uh, for those that know Mexico, they know about the city of Monterrey, a very industrious and productive city in Mexico, and it has a university there. I went there. And then by the second year, I realized that I wanted to work with the mind. It was it's very... Um, so you went to school of medicine there for two oh, years? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I was there to become a doctor in, in Mexico. It takes seven years. Okay. But by the second year, I knew I wanted to specialize oh, in okay. the work of the mind or um, we call it psychopathology, uh, diseases of the behavior, diseases of the mind. And so when I finished there, I went to El Paso, Texas, and I started my specialty training in psychiatry which I finished at the University of California in San Diego. Okay. That's how I became a psychiatrist. And did somebody in your house have that background in, in medicine? Or? Yeah, there was a, a cousin, an older cousin, about 10 years older, that was the model to all of us. And uh, she became a pediatrician. But our generation, hers and mine, were the first generation that actually went to college. Okay. None of our parents, none of my uncles had been to even past high school. So um, there were other times. But they insisted a lot that we had to go to school. So I think they did very good in insisting. Uh, this cousin who was a pediatrician who unfortunately died very young of some form of very aggressive can cancer, he, she had a sister who is an accountant. I have a brother who's an attorney. I have two, a cousin who is an engineer, architect. Something happened in our generation. Yeah. Uh, two of my sisters are also in the health field. One is a geriatrician. The other one is a, uh, a dentist. So uh, I'm very, we're very fortunate. We had parents that somehow they insisted we had to go to school, and, and we did, and... Uh, and so m most of us did get a college degree and, and became uh, professionals. When it comes down to the to the topic that you presented on their early childhood, I mean, uh, adverse ad childhood experience, adverse childhood experience, how does that affect? Can you tell the damage that has been done, or what the kids has been exposed, or you have to wait years for those to come out? Yeah. What has been um, your experience? Well, you know, or what we literature says we talk a lot about how. And you want to provide children with a very healthy environment, right? And that uh, neighborhoods that are violent or uh, affected by poverty, that children are automatically going to do bad when they become adults. And uh, there's nothing 100%. But uh, research keeps showing that the opportunities that you have during childhood have an important impact on what happens to you as an adult, okay? So uh, that's how they come up with the list of um, characteristics or environmental characteristics that can happen during your ch childhood that would affect your brain. And are we talking those first seven years? Or yeah, zero to seven years of age. Okay. So something, what's amazing, and research has gone as far as understanding that the genetic information that we're born with, that we receive from our parents, 
can be actually modified the first seven years of life. And, and if you're exposed to adverse experiences, obviously it can be affected in a negative way. If you're exposed with positive experiences, it can be affected in a positive way. And uh, we can talk about positive uh, experiences, uh, positive childhood experiences mm -hmm. against adverse childhood experiences. And uh, so, for example, uh, adverse childhood experiences is when you're abruptly separated from your parents at an early age mm -hmm. because they move away, because they die, divorced, or, be, or divorced, or one of them ends up in jail. That's already an adverse experience. Is it obligated that because of that you're going to have problems as an adult? No. It's just that your chances increase to have a difficult uh, episodes of uh, either depression, other uh, mental health conditions as an adult than if you're not, you know, if you're protected. Another very sad one is uh, children who are victims of childhood abuse, either physical or sexual or even neglect, right? Mm -hmm. uh, don't have anything to eat uh, or a, a home to live in. And, um, and another form of adverse experience is when either one or both parents have a mental illness or have a mm -hmm. substance use disorder, when there's a lot of drinking in the house or drug use in the house, and that's what you are exposed to the first seven years of life, definitely have an impact in your brain. And in your experience, working on both sides of the border, um, How do you see uh, a trends in, in, in the border area on uh, adverse childhood experience? Yeah, well... Uh, Especially since what we've been seeing on the news and, and you kind of touched that yesterday in your presentation, how, um, unfortunately, when those migrant kids were coming to, uh, to the border and then uh, they were being separated... Yes. That was, that was, uh, so the last two years, uh, these migration process from Latin America into the U.S. Um, had this very distinguishing phenomenon or influx. And this was a people crossing Mexico, originally coming from Central America. They called it the Via Crucis Caravan mm -hmm. or the Caravan of the Day of the Cross. And these were thousands of people that came from Honduras, Salvador, and Guatemala. And they were crossing by foot. And some of them got into buses or trains and made it all the way to Tijuana, which is very near to where I'm at. In fact, I saw them crossing by Mexicali. Mm -hmm. And these were families, adults, young adults, young couples with uh, toddlers, Uh, young couples with children in uh, strollers. And uh, uh, their plan was to make it to Tijuana and then show up at the border and apply for asylum. And uh, some of them were crossing illegally through different places in the mm -hmm. border. And what happened is when they were detained, they separated the parents from the children. Mm -hmm. And this definitely caused a reaction both in the general community 
but also in the professional community. The American Psychiatric Association raised their voice, and, and I'm a proud member of that association, uh, recommending against uh, the separation because the American Psychiatric Association understood that many of these families were already fleeing uh, uh, environments of violence, right, where the families, entire families were exposed to shootings and to uh, crime. crime. And then on top of that, as they entered or attempted to enter our country, they were uh, separated from, children were separated from their parents. And uh, the American Psychiatric Association, in the voice of our then president, uh, Dr. Alta Stewart, uh, said that this separation was one more of those adverse childhood experiences. And um, fortunately, this measure w- was stopped uh, upon a presidential order. But uh, the message that I was talking about yesterday is that uh, there, even after that, months after that, there continued to be the report that those that had been separated, and we're talking about thousands of children, or children were not reunited with their parents yet. Mm-hmm. And as a clinician, the concern that those of us that uh, do clinical work with direct patient care will be running into patients later on who might have been separated uh, in childhood from uh, his or her parents when they were attempting to enter our country. Mm-hmm. And what is, um, have you been able to treat some of those kids, do you feel? Yeah. Um, or it, some kids who have yeah. experienced something similar? Yeah. In, in uh, Well, it's limited what I can say because of privacy mm-hmm. issues, but uh, even prior to the actual caravan, uh, because of where I practice, uh, we've had a handful of children uh, I can speak of one and I'm going to I'm not going to say the gender yeah. because uh, of obvious reasons but um, this child was under age 5 and uh, it just so happened that the child had been born in the US taken back to one of these three countries but then um, um, the parents were murdered um, in then the child was raised for the following year by one of the grandmothers. And then she was very old, and the grandmother died. And then an aunt ended up with the child, and she took it upon herself to cross Mexico undocumented, to arrive to the border and asking for asylum for the child, not for her. Uh, because... Um, she says, you know, there's no way, there's so much violence in our country. To I, provide for the kids. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid for this child. The parents were already murdered, and, and the child was taken into custody. The aunt returned. And uh, we ended up treating the child with, you know, at age five already with memories in her brain of a lot of violence. So we, we have been exposed to that yeah. already. And um, in general, in the society... Um, I'm a little bit familiar because my wife runs with a preschool, and uh, a preschool, and there is some kids. There is kids always in the district, I, I guess, um, or in the community. The the down the road, they start having um, 
behavior um, difficulties. And some of those probably they've been exposed to some of those uh, yeah, things. Um, At what age does it start uh, developing? Yeah. Those now, when, when you're evaluating behavior. a child who's having behavioral problems in school or learning problems, this is not the only cause, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there are many other things, uh, but definitely is a psychiatrist, is uh, a child psychiatrist is obligated when you're doing your assessment to always investigate about the presence of some form of abuse or some form of an adverse experience because mm -hmm. um, researchers in this area realize that this is the number one preventable cause of disease, right? If you remove the child from the abusive or adverse environment, you're already uh, uh, addressing a big problem. There are children, for example, that they're born with uh, some kind of genetic predisposition because they inherited something from the mother or the father. Well, there isn't much you can do about that, right? But if they're actively or currently exposed to an environment that you can influence, that's, uh, that's very important. So it's, it's, uh, we're obligated to investigate that. Uh, where they live, who they live with, what are the circumstances at the house. And in this case, if... Um, and uh, uh, what I'm going to say hopefully is useful for other clinicians, uh, in a state that somehow attracts uh, migrants, especially from Mexico or Latin America, you want to know how they were living before coming here and how is it that they got here. Uh, was it with their biological parents? Was it through the foster home system? Uh, were they separated at the border? How long were they separated? Things like that, because all of that counts. Mm -hmm. And how early can it be manifested at any time? When we talk about the adults, is because many times these people... Uh, how the saying goes, fall through the cracks. They don't get evaluated in school. They become adolescents, and probably they become complicated with using alcohol or using substances. Then they fail in school. Uh, they have a hard time finding a job when they become young adults. And then they enter the healthcare, the mental health system when they're 24 or 25. Mm. And then you start giving treatment, and you find that the treatments that are usually working for other people for the same condition, they don't work as well. So if you dig a little deeper and you find that these people were exposed to adverse experiences during childhood, that explains why they are usually, not all the time, but usually resistant to treatment. The usual treatment doesn't work as well. They take longer to respond. They take more psychotherapy sessions, they need to be hospitalized more times or need higher dose of medications. And then what we know is that the brain is different because of what happened in those first years of life. How hard, uh, we keep listening and uh, hearing about mental health um, needs, in, at least here in our community in Rochester, uh, and access. I guess that's the key, mm -hmm. access to healthcare. In your case, your experience, if you had a magic wand, what would be the ideal setup <laughs> to address these needs on when it comes down to mental health? Well, in a country like ours, where um, 
we say that this is a country of immigrants, right? There, there are people migrating continuously. But the reality is that only 13 to 15 percent of the population of the whole country is actually of migrants. So the great majority of, are people who are um, who've been here uh, mm-hmm. all their lives. Um, but let me tell you something. I, I was talking to a colleague from Europe, and uh, he told me. I, I mean, this is, this is from colleague to colleague. I've never actually read this, but they tell me that in countries like Spain, if uh, if you're a child and one of your parents has a mental illness, and that's you know, he or she is going to get care, whatever hospital, you know, yeah, it's already diagnosed, being treated. Well, by by law, when the child becomes 11, get, starts to get evaluated every year, even if he or she does not have any symptoms. You just get evaluated once a year only because there is one parent in the household with mental illness. If it happens that the two parents have a mental illness, the evaluations start when the child is seven years old, wow. just in case. Can you believe that? I mean, that would, if I had a magic wand, that's what I would want for all Americans and for all Mexicans yeah. um, and everybody, every child in the world. I think um, just like you do your pedi- pediatrician's visits or the healthy child visits, you know, mm-hmm. to get your vaccines, to see if you're growing up, to see if you're eating well, same thing, but with mental health. That would be my, my magic wand action. Nice. Doctor, question for you, and this is something that um, it comes to mind because I used to be a, I used to work as an interpreter for the county, and I used to be in cases as part of my job that it was overwhelming for me to be exposed to these topics. In your case, when you see clients and uh, they're sharing testimonials with you, do you as a psychiatrist, do you see somebody? Oh yeah, we we all have our and should have our system to, to so there's no to, burnout to debrief. Yes, um, yeah. Actually, you're touching in a very um, important, uh, very very important topic because uh, we psychiatrists, one way or another, become the depositories mm-hmm. of of uh, testimonies or. Uh, descriptions of very traumatic experiences. That's the nature of our work. And yeah, we, we all are required to have a system where we can talk to someone else. Uh, and there are a lot of rules about privacy. Like a minute ago, I, you mm-hmm. know, there's only so much I can tell you about a patient of mine. Um, because everybody deserves that privacy. But when you start thinking about it, it's not different, for example, from an infectious disease specialist. I mean, this patient, this doctor is not going to be talking about his patients who have HIV, for example. You, mm-hmm. you, you shouldn't do that. You're respecting that. But it's uh, but coming back to psychiatrists, it's so important. This is so important because mental illness can also strike us. In fact, the end of September this year, we commemorated, sadly, the death of a former partner of mine, uh, a young psychiatrist who died by suicide last year. And it turns out that this was in in California, in the United States. And this year, just a couple of weeks ago, a very uh, young and distinguished psychiatrist, researcher, teacher, died by suicide too, this year in Mexico. So 
yeah, you're touching on a, on, on a topic very close to my heart. I've lost two people who are very close to me, not only because they were psychiatrists, but also because I knew them. So, yeah, uh, not only stress, but mental illness can also strike us. And, and with, with, on that, with anybody in the mental health field and anybody in the health field. So it's very uh, important, very useful that we also take care of ourselves. Good. Doctor, you're also part of a few associations. You're president-elect of the Asociación Psiquiátrica Mexicana. Uh, you're going to be starting yeah, yes, I'm very proud. Just uh, think about it. I know you're Mexican too, and, yeah. and, and you work now here in Minnesota, but to have the opportunity to be in Mexico and compete for... Um, uh, what is the role of somebody taking that role? Yeah, well, it's very exciting. I, I love my country of origin. Soy mexicano como el nopal. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the largest... Uh, um, a professional association of psychiatrists in Mexico is called Asociación Psiquiátrica Mexicana. And every two years, they hold elections to change the, to, to, um, to elect their new president. Mm -hmm. And then uh, for two years after the elections, you are uh, named president-elect. So basically, it's your time to learn uh, what you're going to be doing the following two years. And I've been doing that for 2018 and 2019. And then in January 2020, I'll be, be starting my role as president of the Asociación Psiquiátrica Mexicana until the end of the year 2021. And so... Well, that role consists of? Yes. Uh, well, the main role of the association is to uh, expand, enhance uh, uh, the offer of continued education for okay. its members. S and uh, I'm expanding that to not only bringing speakers from other countries to talk to the Mexican psychiatrists, but also uh, Mexico is a large country and has different cultures within it. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that psychiatrists from the northern part of the country tell the rest what they're doing and then the southern part of the country. And, uh, in fact, we're already working on our next meeting, which will be in Acapulco. And if you all want to come, October 1st to 4th. And it's the name of the, the theme of the meeting is Innovating for a Psychiatry for All. So okay. anything that's being done in innovation to... Uh, you were talking at the beginning about the barriers to to access um, mental health care. The idea is to see what are, are Mexican psychiatrists across the country doing to enhance the access to psychiatric care. And you also member of the American Society of Hispanics psychiatry. Yeah, psychiatry. <laughs> so well, you're you're a multicultural, and also you live right there and the. <laughs> on the border. So now you're also part of this one. Tell me a little bit about that one. Yeah, the American Society of Hispanic Psychiatry is, is a society that originated here in the United States um, coming from um, a Peruvian psychiatrist mm -hmm. in, in uh, Chicago. Okay. His name, he's, he's passed away now. His name was Moises Gaviria. Uh, very active guy and he somehow recruited all the the researchers that were back then in the in the before late LinkedIn. 60s before, <laughs> LinkedIn, before LinkedIn yes and and put together the society and um, what this society does is to get us all those Latino or Hispanic or now Latinx mm -hmm. uh, psychiatrists uh, from the United States Spain and Latin America 
to get together and enhance um, uh, academia research. And the things we're doing right now is that we meet once a year in a different city. We we congregate uh, uh, alive because we have meetings, virtual meetings through the year, and we have a symposium. And uh, the two highlights that have been in the last few years one is something that we've named the Don Quixote Award, and it is for young researchers. They come, they compete, they present, and then there is a, 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 a number of judges that select who is the winner, and, and uh, it's very cool. This could be either um, young uh, researchers, either Hispanic or people who are treating Hispanics, so they don't oh, have to be Hispanics themselves. But as long as they are around Hispanic mental health, and, uh, and so they get that award. And the other one is, uh, since our friend's uh, suicide, uh, we name a lecture after him, and okay. it is about physician well-being, how to take care of ourselves. So th- those are the things we're doing in the last couple of years. Uh, I know you have to go to uh, another meeting, but I want to ask you this, and, and maybe you can give me a little of light or orientation. What, um, what has been your experience when working with uh, youth who are being born here in the States, who have come here early, in an early age, uh, but they don't feel sometimes like they belong here because the atmosphere or the environment, but also they don't feel like they belong where they tell them, go back to whatever. You yeah. Know? What, uh, what has been your experience dealing with uh, those individuals who doesn't feel like we say Mexico, neither aquí, neither allá. It's yeah, like well, you're, you're, this, is, uh, this is a very good question, and um, I can also tell you about it myself, because at one point mm-hmm. I experienced that. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, my, well, my first name is Bernardo. That's mm-hmm. very much in Spanish. My, my father's name is Ing. It's mm-hmm. an N and a G. That's Chinese. And then if I'm presenting myself in Mexico, I would say Bernardo N.G. Solis. Solis is my mother's name. That's very Mexican. She's mm-hmm. from Chihuahua. But even growing up in Mexico, I had that thing because uh, in Mexicali, the, where I was born, there is a lot of Chinese people there. Mm-hmm. That's how my father ended up there, a lot of Chinese immigrants. Uh, but there's something my father taught me. Because he immigrated as an adolescent, late adolescent from Hong Kong, and uh, he had a very hard time himself. Um, I mean, he had me when he was like 20 years old. Can you believe that? God, that's, that's so hard to hear now, uh, people being a, becoming a parent at that age. But let me, so let me share with you this mm-hmm. story that um, uh, it's, it's funny because uh, there's sort of a legend there. So his father, my grandfather in Hong Kong, was a successful businessman, according to what the legend says. And my father was his third child, but the first son. And, you know, in some traditional mm-hmm. cultures, the first son is, is, the, male. is the male, right? And uh, he says that my grandfather realized that my father was going to leave China because he was born with a double toenail in the small toe. And, and I was about 12 when my father explained it to me. He showed me. So he actually had like a folded nail mm. on his small toe. 
And uh, he said that that is a sign of a traveler. Okay. Wow. And then um, my grandfather allegedly developed some form of cancer. And when he was dying, he asked that his, his uh, headstone of his tomb was facing the west because he knew his, fa- his son was going to travel west. Sure enough, soon after he died, my, my grandmother ran out of money, and they sent my dad to America to see if he could yeah. make, like many other migrants, come to America, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as it turns out, they didn't pay enough money, so instead of staying in the United States, they sent him to Mexico. Yeah. But the thing he taught me when he was telling me that story is that um, we're all citizens of the world, not of one country. And there is one message that I would share with my Mexican uh, paisanos here in the United States is that the borders are made by men and governments, but uh, culture, traditions, family cross those borders. Values. And values cross those borders. And to uh, embrace what they've inherited or what they've learned at home and learn how to combine it with where they're growing up now, outside the home. Uh, Something better will come out of this rather than just holding on and rejecting the other culture. Uh, I think um, not just two or three decades ago, it would be embarrassing that we spoke Spanish, right? Mm -hmm. In many of the states now, we speak Spanish with pride. Even guacamole is in every Super Bowl, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is what most people buy now uh, when they're watching football, the yeah. One of the main American uh, in, uh, sports, Snacks. right? So, yeah, I think uh, combinations of, of things is, is the best uh, uh, the best of both worlds. I have to ask you before you go. So when you were in Monterrey, did you go to any soccer games? Of course. I'm a Tigre de Estoro. la Universidad. Okay, just, just checking. Make just sure, checking. Make sure you're I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hope you're a Tigre too yes. because if uh, I know there's, there's uh, Rayados and Tigres don't get along. Okay. Well, then you're a good man. <laughs> just, just kidding. So, doctor, anything else that you would like to add? How has been your experience so far in Minnesota? Have you been in this part of the country no, before? Uh, well, I was... Uh, um, uh, I, uh, well, due to an educational activity somewhere else in Minnesota, not here in Rochester, is the first time in Rochester. I'm very excited to be here, very proud, not only because of the invitation that I had from the Mayo Clinic, which is a highlight in anybody's professional career in the health field, but also to know that people like you are doing things like what you're oh, doing you. for the Hispanic community and uh, the fact that you're Mexican makes me very proud and of course I'm, I'm very uh, delighted to be here and I want to thank you for the invitation and I wish you many more podcasts uh, to come. Thank you Doc and uh, we'll keep you, we'll stay everybody tuned. Hello everybody on the Minnesota Research Link. Uh, <laughs> we want to keep this going and uh, we'll stay in touch and we'll do one in Spanish down the road. So doctor, best of sure. luck for you. Thank you. Thank you very and much. And next the time invitation. we're going to talk about your horses. I know you, oh, you, you yeah, ride yeah. horses. Yeah, I'm a charro by, by uh, por afición. Yeah, awesome. A, that's Mexican so, sport. Yeah. So I want to invite everybody to click in on the link and follow this podcast. 
share this podcast to your, with your friends. You can find this podcast also on iTunes under Community Board Podcast, on SoundCloud also under Community Board Podcast. If you want to follow us on Facebook, find us under Community Board, on Twitter also under under Community Board. So, all right, stay tuned. I'll see you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter, about a certain research. Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk, if you talk to the people from the board. Why did the yogurt go to the art museum? Did you see in the news? To get more culture.